Hi everyone, Rabbi David Talon here from Mishnah Study, Masechet Shibuot, Perek Zayin, Mishnah Vav. In the previous Mishnah, we discussed a dispute between a Hanvani and a customer over a credit issue, in which we said that if the Hanvani had information on his pinkas, he could take an oath and claim the money. In this next Mishnah, we deal not with a credit dispute, but rather with a cash payment dispute, and we'll bring two different cases, one with a chenvani and a customer, a storekeeper and a customer, and the other with a shulchani, a money lender and a customer, and the different disputes that occur between them and who swears and can take the money. Um, let's begin reading the Mishnah. A person says to a storekeeper, sell me a dinar's worth of fruit, and he gives him the uh, the fruit. Amarlo dinar, and a bit later the chenvani comes and says, "Okay, you have to pay me the dinar that I gave you for the fruit." Amarlo and the customer says, "I already gave you the dinar and you put it into your till or into your wallet, into your savings. In other words, the dinar that you have in your possession—that's the dinar that I gave you." In this situation, the balabait, meaning the customer, can swear and he can take his fruits and he does not need to further pay according to the claim of the chenvani against him. Now, what happened in the reverse case? The chenvani was asked by the customer to provide for him a dinar of perot and natan lo hadinar, and the customer gave him the dinar. Later on, amar lo perot. He came and told him, give me the fruits that I that I paid you for. And the Hanvani makes a similar claim that we saw the Baal Abayit make in the first half. He says, I already gave you the fruits. And you brought them home with you. The storekeeper can swear and he is not obligated to provide any more fruits. Now what's going on over here in this situation? Before we read Rabbi Yehuda's opinion, what is happening in this Mishnah? Typically we have a concept that if one wishes to extract money or value from somebody else, they would have to bring a proof if they have a dispute. If I'm coming and claiming that this person owes me money and they are in possession of that money, they I have to bring proof that I am owed that money in order to extract it from a person. The person who holds the money is the one who's in charge. So in this case, we would say, <coughs> we should just look at who has the money or who has the fruits. And the person who's trying to extract should have to bring it to ayah. And if he doesn't bring it to ayah, then he can't do it. Or at least the person who has the possession should be able to swear and hold on to it. Why is it that over here we're not using the concept of For this, we have to look to the commentary of the Rambam. The Rambam explains that something very unique is happening in this case. Let's read his commentary. He says, The Mishnah says that the Baal Abayit can swear in the first case, which is a biblical oath, Omnam, however, this is only in a situation that Shavua is obligated or placed on the Baalabait, and then he can keep the fruits. Something unique happened over here. The dispute is over fruit, which is piled up in the Reshut Harabim. The Chenvani is claiming, in the first case at least, that this is the fruit that I gave you, the Baalabait. I took that fruit, I piled it in Reshut Harabim, that's the fruit that I gave you. And therefore, uh, you have to come and pay me the money. To which the Baal Habayit is saying, no, I already gave you the dinar, and I'm taking this fruit home. So in this situation, says Harambam, because hayu perot sivurim b'rshut because the fruit is outside of the store, 
of the Hinvani, and therefore the Hinvani is clearly is not in a clear possession of those fruits. Each one of them is making their claim. The Baal Habayit is making the claim that these are my fruits and I paid you already. The Chenvani is saying, no, these are my fruits and you need to pay me for them. Then that's why the Baal Habayit is going to give that swear. The Baal Habayit is given the ability to swear because the, the Chenvani is admitting to the fact that he sold him those fruits and those fruits are not in his possession, which basically means the Baal Habayit has the upper hand Therefore, the Chenvani does not get the swear. He's claiming that he wants his money, but he already admitted that he sold, that he gave him the fruits and that he sold him the fruits. And so he does not have the upper hand. Those fruits are in the Balabite's possession. Hence, the Balabite could swear, take his fruit, and he could say, I already paid you. He does not need to pay. However, Rambam says, But if these fruits were mamash in the possession of the customer, he would not need to swear a biblical oath. We're saying this is a deen. That would only require because if Mamash they were in his possession, now the Chenvani is trying to extract those fruits from him and extract the money from him, he would have to bring it out. So we're talking about a situation where the fruit is piled up in Rishut Harabim, and therefore the Chenvani and the Baalabayit are having a dispute over who is the rightful owner over those pedot. The Chenvani claims at this moment I'm the rightful owner because you didn't pay me. The Baalabayit is saying uh, no, you sold these to me already, and I already paid you for them. And since the Chenvani admits that he indeed give these, gave these fruits to the to the Baalabayit, he just wasn't paid for them. Therefore, the claim of the Baalabayit is on the upper hand. He could swear at Shavuat de Oraita, and he could take his fruits without having to pay any more money. What about in the second case? In the second case, the fruits also are piled in Rishut Arabim, but here the claim is different. Here, he gave him the dinar, to which now the Baal Habayit is coming and saying, okay, these are my fruits, I want to take these fruits. And the Chenvani is saying, no, 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 I already gave you the fruit. These fruits belong to me. These fruits are something that I put aside to sell to somebody else. So now there's again a dispute over the fruit. However, here the Baal Habayit is admitting that he gave him the dinar, and he's admitting that the fruit was in the possession um, uh, of, the Baal, of, the, of the Chenvani, and the Chenvani is denying the sale. So now we see that the situation changes. Says In the second clause of the first part of the Mishnah, we claim that the Hanvani has the right to swear the biblical swear. Again, the case is the same. The Perot are in the Shut The Balabait is saying, This money that I gave to you, and that's what I used to purchase it. But to which the storekeeper responds, This dinar that you gave me, that's for fruit that I already gave to you. You already received your, your, your delivery. This fruit that you're claiming is yours, I never, I never sold it to you whatsoever. I placed them here for a different sale. Um, and so again here, because the Balabait is admitting to the sale that took place, to which the Chenvani is denying, and they both admit that the money was given to the, to the Chenvani. The Chenvani has the right to swear, keep the money, keep the fruit, and the Baal Abayit is going, to, uh, is going to lose out. That's why the Chenvani gets the swear. All of this is because the fruit, which is in the Shut Rabim, <coughs> is under disputed ownership. But as Haramban points out, if the fruit was in the store of the, of the storekeeper, he would not be obligated at all because now 
the Baalabait would be coming to extract from him. And therefore, he would only be obligated, the Chenvanim, to give a Shavuat Tehset al-Aikar. All he would do is a Shavuat al-Banan. Based on the Klal, al-Aikar ha-Motzina Haberu al-Abaraya. Based on the idea that if the Baalabait wants to extract from his possession, he would have to bring a proof. If he can't bring a proof, then the Chenvanim swears a Shavuat al-Banan and he keeps everything for himself. Only reason why we have a Shavuat al-Aita here is because there is a dispute over the true possession, the true ownership over the fruit, and the fruit does not have clear owner because it's in the Shukarabu. Um, this is the understanding of the first part of the Mishnah. Um, Rabbi Yehuda, however, disagrees. Rabbi Yehuda Omer, Kol perot biyado, yado ala ilyona. Rabbi Yehuda says, whomever has possession of the fruit, his hand is on the top. What is Rabbi Yehuda's point over here? Says Harambam, Rabbi Yehuda cholek ala halacha ashniya. Rabbi Yehuda is disagreeing with the second deen in, this, in the first part of the Mishnah. Ve'amar, and he says, shal he says that the Baal Abayit gets the ability to take an oath in both situations. Unlike Tanakh Kamau, who says that the Chenvani gets the oath in the second situation. Why? Since the fruits are collected without ownership in the, in the public domain, they're not in the possession of the storekeeper. Therefore, they are more in the possession of the Baal Abayit than they are in the storekeeper. In other words, according to Tanakh Kamma, the fruit piled in the Shu Tarabim is 50-50 to the Mokher, to the Hanvani, or to the Baal Abayit. In the eyes of Rabbi Yudha, it's not 50-50. If it was truly in the possession of the Mokher, it would be in his store. The fact that it's not in his store, it's in the Shu Tarabim, puts them more in the possession of the Baal Abayit than in the possession of the Hanvani. And as a result, the Baal Abayit having more of the claim to the possession, despite in the second case, admitting to a sale uh, to which the Chenvani denies such a sale, nevertheless, the Baal Abayit gets the ability to take the swear and to keep the fruits. Um, and he says, this is the understanding of what it means that the fruit is in his possession. And Habam says, the same will be for the case of the Shulhan, the same will go for the second clause, the second half of this Mishnah, which is a case of a money lender. We'll pause here and we'll go back to the Mishnah. The Mishnah essentially paints the exact same picture when it comes to money lenders and someone who is making a transaction with them. Um, we'll read the cases. Someone said to a money lender, give me bedinar uh, for a dinar ma'ot. In other words, he's trading a silver dinar for smaller copper coins to get change. And he gave them the copper coins. Amarlo ten yeta dinar. And the Shulchani said, okay, now you got to give me the dinar of silver. Amarlo netativ dechaun tatoba umperi. He says, what do you mean? I gave you the dinar already. You put it into your till. Yishava ba'alabayit. The ba'alabayit can now make the swear and take the copper coins and he does not need to pay another dinar. Once again, in this situation, the copper coins that are under dispute over here are in, uh, in, a, in, a, in an equal possession, in an equal uh, position. Shutarabim, uh, for example. So the Baal Abayit is coming and saying, these are the copper coins that I'm taking, right? And I already gave you the dinar. To which the Chenvani, the Shulchani, excuse me, in this case, is saying, wait a minute, you didn't give me the dinar. I admit to you, these are your coins, but you didn't give me the dinar. So in this situation, the Baal Abayit can swear because since the Shulchani is admitting to having given those coins to him and that it took place, and the Baal Abayit is saying, I already gave it to you, the Baal Abayit gets an opportunity to take the, to take the oath and keep the, uh, keep the copper coins, to keep the ma'od, since there's no... A clear possession of these copper coins, the Balabai takes them. Flip case, Natan lo dinar, if in fact he gave him the dinar, and now we're worried about the dispute over the copper coins, Amar lo ten ma'ot, and now 
the customer is coming and saying, the Balabite is coming and saying, okay, these are my copper coins, I'm going to take them. What do you mean? I already gave you a set of copper coins. And you put them into your wallet. And these are different copper coins that I plan to give to somebody else, says the Shulchani. Here, Yishava Shulchani. The Shulchani has the ability to take on the oath and keep those copper coins, and he owes nothing to the Baalabayit. Once again, these copper coins were in dispute. They're equally 50-50 belonging to them. And since the customer admits that he gave him the dinar and that the sale took place, to which the Chenvani denies that he already gave him the copper coins and it's done, these copper coins can be sworn on by the Shulchani, and the Shulchani can go ahead and keep them. Essentially, Tanakama is consistent with his first half of the Mishnah, the way he did with the Chenvani and the Perot, he does with the Shulchani and the Ma'ot. Once again, as Rabbi Yehuda disagreed in the first part of the Mishnah, he disagrees over here and says, Rabbi Yehuda, Omer, Rabbi Yehuda says, En derech Shulchani liten isar, it is not the way of the money lender to take an, to give an isar until he takes his dinar, which essentially means that if he has the dinar in his possession, it's likely that these are the ma'ot, and hence in the second case as well, this is the way Harambam understands it, in the second case as well, which we said, Yishava Shulchani, the Bihuda is once again denying that and saying that in this case, the Baalabayit has the ability to swear. We'll pick up on the commentary of the Rambam over here. He says, The situation between the Shulchani and his customer is the same as the storekeeper and the fruits and his customer with the same conditions. Um, so comes Harambam to explain why do we need two sets of cases in this Mishnah? Why was one case, either the Chenvani and the Perot and the Shulchani and the Ma'ot, not sufficient to teach us this halakha? And so he says, the reason why we need it, and he brings us from the Gemara, is we would have thought with just the case of the Perot, with just the case of the fruits and the Chenvani, we would have thought the Tanakhama agrees to the Biuda in the case of the Shulchani that that it's not the way for the Chenvani to give his Isar until he takes his Dinar. And therefore, if the Baalabayit is coming and claiming that he did not get uh, these Ma'ot and he gave him the Dinar, the likelihood is that the Baalabayit is in the right because there's no way that the, that the Shulchani would have given up or placed those Ma'ot into the Shulchanim if he did not receive his Dinar. And that was probably what it is. And therefore, Yishavah Baalabayit B'Shneha Inyanim. In both of these cases, he has the ability to make the swear. What about the case of the Perot? What Hidush does the Chenvani and the Perot in the Resha of the Mishnah have that we couldn't have learned from the Sefa? Says Harambam, V'ilu mashmi'inu haddin b'shulhani, ayinu omrim shirabi yuda lo ayacholek ele b'shulhani. If we only had the second case of the Mishnah with the money lender, we would have said, ah, Rabbi Yehuda only disagrees in the money lending case because of the fact that the money lender likely, um, you know, gives his isar only when he receives his dinar. But it does happen sometimes that a henvani will take fruit without giving his, uh, with, with, without, so will give fruit without taking his dinar. And so then maybe in that case, the Rabbi Yehuda would agree that the Chenvani has the right to swear. That the Chenvani has the right to make that oath because sometimes the Chenvani will give the fruit and then collect the dinar later on, which Ashul Khani does not do. 
And therefore, the Mishnah needs to go ahead and teach us that the Biuda is Holek in both of these cases. So the first half of the Mishnah is there to teach us that the Biuda is Holek even in the fruit case. The second case of the Mishnah is to teach us that Hachamim are even Holek in the Shulchani case, despite the fact that there is a concept that the, that the Shulchani will not give his Isar until he takes his Dinar. Um, Harambam closes by saying, "En halacha ma'amarot." The halacha is not like Rabbi Yehuda. In either of these cases, the halacha follows the hachamim that the shavua would would revert back and switch depending on uh, who makes what claim uh, in those situations. There is it's, it is worth noting that according to uh, Rashi and the Ran and others, they disagree with Harambam in the second case of the Shulchani, and they say that Rabbi Yehuda is actually arguing on the first part of the Shulchani case not on the case with the Yishavah Shulchani, but they are actually debating that, um, that the case of the Baal Habayit should be able to swear in the first case. According to Rashi and Duran, they would say that what Rabbi Yehuda means to say is that in the first case where Yishavah Baal Habayit, the Baal Habayit can take the money without even having to do an oath. In other words, it's so strong that the Shulchani will not give the Isar until he takes the Dinar, that in the first case, where the where the 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 um, the maot was already placed there, and he says, "Give me, uh, you know, give me the dinar." It's so strong that there was no way that he took that he would give them the maot without taking the dinar. That when the balabite says, "I already gave it to you," and he has the dinar in his hand, the balabite doesn't even have to take the oath. He just takes the money without having to take the oath. So that Ashi and Daran understand that the second case is slightly different. The Biuda agrees in the second case that the Shulhani can swear, but in the first case, he says the Balabite doesn't even need to swear. Um, so a bit of a difference in how to understand the second case of the second part of the Mishnah or the first case in the second part of the Mishnah between Harambam and Rashi and others.